What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by DirecTV Stream. I'm your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we're going to talk, is Oklahoma State for real? Does Oklahoma have a new QB1 and Purdue beat the number two out of Iowa? Let's go. It's the number one ranked show. Okay, so we got to start with this. Unranked Purdue knocks off number two, Iowa, 24-7 on the road. Of all the upsets that could have upset today, this was the one everybody was like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think Purdue's very good. And then on Sunday, well, Iowa will be ranked the nation's number one corn producer. But they won't be the number two team in the country. This Iowa loss means only Michigan or Michigan State could finish as the undefeated Big Ten champ. They play the week after next, and neither of them have played Ohio State yet. B1G is getting to see how the SEC lives. Now, good RJ thought Purdue's got a stud in wide receiver David Bell. Evil RJ says, see what happens when Iowa can't turn the ball over and plays against a starting quarterback? Now, allow me to unpack both RJs. The Boilermaker defense forced four turnovers in this game, including four interceptions, and made life awful for Spencer Petrus, who was sacked four times two. I should say that's five turnovers, not four, four interceptions. David Bell was out here on his Anita Ward. If you don't know, don't go look it up. If you do, you with the right crew. He caught 11 passes for 240 yards receiving. Matt Hankins is Iowa's best DB, not named Riley Moss. And Bell was just ringing him, cooking him out supreme. Look, his primary quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, completed 30 of 40 passes for 374 yards with two TDs. Also, the touchback rule is absolutely monumentally stupid. Purdue ought to have whooped Iowa by seven more points than they did. And there's this from, well, us. These are the most all-time wins against AP Top 2 teams Entering today with a list of teams, you know, that include <clears throat> Notre Dame, who has 17 wins against AP number two teams. Ohio State, who has 16. USC, who has 16. Oklahoma, who has 14. And Purdue, who has 13. One of these is not like the others. Look, that's four Blue Bloods and Purdue. That's four national title winning programs. And Purdue, that's four of the most profitable and revered programs in the sport. And Purdue. It gets better. Purdue hadn't beat a ranked team on the road, I should say a ranked top 10 team on the road, since October 18th, 2003. That was when they were at Wisconsin. But wait, there's more. Purdue's last top 10 road win against a number two team. Check it. Notre Dame, September 28th, 1974. <laughs> 47 years ago. 
AP number 12, Oklahoma State knocks off, or excuse me, defeated number 25, Texas, 32 to 24. I almost said Texas undefeated. That ain't true. On the road. Now, there's a cheap joke in there about Cowboys, Bulldog, and Longhorns, but we prefer our, our jokes here, seasoned, marinated, grilled, over an open flame for flavor, you know. Otherwise, Oklahoma State has beaten three ranked opponents in a row. No one else in the country has done that. I believe that's the first time in school history Oklahoma State has done that. And Oklahoma State's blind resume is as good as any team in the country not named Georgia. And we'll talk about Georgia a little bit later in today, but what you need to know is they're the number one team in the country. Oklahoma State is 6-0. and oh. Pay the pokes their respect. The Longhorns trotted onto the 40 acres, averaging 44 and a half points per game. The fifth best in the FBS and the most the Longhorns had averaged per game through the first half of the season since 2008. The Pokes held the Longhorns to just 24 points. And last week, Casey Thompson became the first Longhorn QB ever to throw for at least 300 yards and zero interceptions against an Oklahoma team that, you know, we expect to be in the Big 12 championship game. He's also the first Texas QB in Big 12 history to toss a 300-yard passing game with five passing touchdowns. That means he did something neither Vince Young nor Colt McCoy did in Texas when they played, and both of those guys played in a national title game. The Pokes held Thompson to 15 of 27 for 179 with just one TD and two INTs. Look, Oklahoma State overcame a double-digit deficit to win. The Pokes trailed Boise State 20-7, they did this for the second time, and came back to win that game 21-20 last month. Look, the Pokes scored 19 unanswered after trailing Texas by double digits. And in the second half, this is how they did it. Oklahoma State's defense forced four straight three and outs, turned Texas over on downs, and then snatched an interception to seal the victory. Meanwhile, the offense scored on four out of five possessions in the second half, to, again, secure that victory. So Texas has blown double-digit leads for the second time in as many weeks, and it's going to be the difference between literally being a top-10 darling and Big 12 favorite to being unranked and 4-3. and three. That's just brutal. I need to add here, Texas was 8-3 and three last year with Tom Herman as head coach, and Steve Sarkeesian's already at his third loss of the season. Seven games in? Yeesh. But there was an upside for Texas. There was the appearance of the number one 2023 recruit in the country. His first name is Arch. His last name is Manning. Look, I would have said before the season began that Arch Manning was a shoe-in to be the starting quarterback at Clemson in two years' time. Not so after this year, but you want Texas, or you wanted if you were Texas, to put on a display for this man on a huge recruiting weekend, and you could not come through. Your guess for where Arch Manning plays his college football is as good as my guess, and it looks as if there are lots of folks that still have some things to say about that, especially with some moving and shaking going on at one Oklahoma at quarterback at present. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But for me, this game was supposed to be a Bijan Robinson Heisman Trophy case strengthening moment, right? He rushed for 135 yards and caught three passes for 38 with three touchdowns in this game. But he can't win a Heisman 
on a three-loss team. The last player to win the Heisman, who didn't play in the playoff for the national title game, was Lamar Jackson, who also played on a four-loss team, 9-4. and four. But that season, that man had 4,928 yards offense. 1,538 of those yards were rushing in his Heisman Trophy winning season. He rushed for 21 TDs, two that year. This is what Bijan is up against. We already veered toward the quarterback because they're a more important position. What I'm saying is Bijan's going to have to rush for 2,000 yards and then some just to get, I believe, to the Heisman finalist stage, to the Heisman ceremony, because there are legitimately 12 teams that can claim they have a Heisman favorite because no one has separated in a meaningful way in this pageant contest. All right. Georgia beat the brakes off of number 11, Kentucky, 30-13. to 13. Kentucky falls to 6-1. Georgia moves to 7-0. UGA has whooped UK for the last 12 times in a row by an average margin of 18 points per game. UGA was favored by more than 23 in this game. And though UK covered, think about that for just a second. Both teams were 6-0. and the last time I saw two undefeated teams with this kind of spread, it was UGA favored by 17-plus against Arkansas this year. We know how that went. UGA's win streak against UK is the longest against a single opponent over the last 40 years. The other, Vanderbilt, who the Dogs beat every year from 1995 to 2005. And in this season of dog defensive dominance, Georgia has leaned heavily on the overall talent of its defense, enjoying the use of what first I heard from Baylor head coach Dave Aranda called simulated pressures. In his week seven availability, Kirby Smart gave an explanation for what simulated pressure is at Georgia and how it has helped the dog defense this season. Uh, they're, 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 well, I mean, there's several games they've gotten a lot of pressure. Um, we haven't, we haven't pressured a lot this year at all, but we really didn't pressure a lot last year. Um, we've gone away from, you know, there's a lot more, uh, move in NFL football with offenses. Um, offenses have gotten more complicated. They're, they're, they're different. A lot of simulated pressures. So it means you bring somebody and drop somebody, which some people would call a fire zone, but, we call them simulated pressures because it's usually only four guys rushing, sometimes three guys rushing, and they allow you to um, play simpler coverages where you don't have to get really complicated and, and worry about a bust. And uh, the front has helped us do that, but we've changed a little bit philosophically. Whether we got a great front seven, an average front seven, or a poor front seven, we'd probably be doing what we're doing. So it's not a matter of them changing us. It's more uh, what we have to do to defend these type of offenses. So one of the reasons that I love to hear coaches talk ball is you get to see a little bit of what they got going on there. And what Kirby basically told us is that we're not sending more than four. We're just telling you, we're not telling you where those four are coming from. But one of the reasons that he can do that is because of big 99 in the middle. And it bears repeating. I wrote this on the Fox Sports app in my college football tiers column. And we touched on it a little bit earlier this week. But... The UGA defense is playing better than any offense in the country, and the best player on that unit is Jordan Davis. I don't see why Davis winning the Heisman isn't an obvious choice. Just because a player plays defense doesn't mean he can't be the best player in the country. This convention 
that QBs, wide receivers, and running backs are the best players in the sport needs to be aired out. Having the ball doesn't make you the best player in the sport, even if it makes you the most important one. But if you can't move it or score it, attention needs to be paid as to why. And consistently, Davis and the Bulldogs defense have shown that no one can move the ball or score with anything approaching regularity in large part because of the six foot six, 340 pound immovable object up front. As for the argument about Davis's stats, this is why watching football is important. If a stat sheet made a player the best, Mike Leach would have had an argument for the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback for the last 20 years. Watch UGA's defense and you'll see. It's a bow and arrow and Davis is the hand that fires it. The dogs have Florida in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party next week. But the big question remains, can they beat Bama? Hopefully, we get to find out end of the season. Number four, Oklahoma. My Oklahoma Sooners. Beat up Texas Christian 52 to 31. An NFL vet text me. Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield had a love child. And his name is Caleb Williams. Look, three years ago, Joseph Wette told me this young kid playing quarterback at my alma mater was the absolute truth. Okay, Wette is an outside linebacker at Oklahoma. I was like, we'll see. That kid at Gonzaga Prep is Caleb Williams. Superman's initials are CW, like the network. This is too perfect. This man was at recess against Gary Patterson's defense, and it was full blast. Williams first started, well, he ended with 18 of 23. No, he ended, he ended better than that. He ended 23 of 25 for like 295 yards with four TDs and zero picks. Kennedy Brooks added 153 on 20 rushes because that dude is a walk in seven yards. Here's my takeaway, though. Very good. Oklahoma put up 325 yards of offense. Very bad. Oklahoma allowed 519 yards of offense. Now, I need a caveat in here for the Oklahoma fans that are going to be tearing their hair out right now. Yes, the secondary is decimated. You do not have anything approaching a starting lineup the way that you would like in the secondary, but that ain't no excuse for Max Duggan when he ain't got no Zach Evans back there, and Quentin Johnson is just going straight at your dome every single time. But, big picture here. The QB saga at Oklahoma isn't done, right? Because Caleb Williams got the start tonight, which means that Spencer Rattler did not. It's hard to say that the first true freshman to get a starting job since Kale Gundy, who's still on the staff, by the way, at Oklahoma, did in 1990, isn't your heir apparent, right? It's even more difficult to say what Spencer Rattler is going to be doing at this time next year. Check it. I remember the same folks cheering Caleb Williams wanted to dump Jalen Hurts in 2019 for Spencer Rattler. I'm saying... I hope for all our sakes, CW can keep this productivity up because folks are vicious when it ain't going well. Rattler is 15-2 and two as a starting quarterback. 
He won the first bowl game of Lincoln Riley's career along with a Big 12 championship. And he was benched. I get it. I see it too. But damn if that ain't ever just gonna be tough. And for the part about this NIL bit, you know, my man, he got some stuff going on for himself and made himself a little bit of money. How come nobody ever talks no noise about what happens when a coach who's making millions of dollars starts to BS around, as you put it, right? Like, I'm not with this arguing about what people are getting paid. What I am with is, hey, we had a better option at quarterback. Let's go do that. Wish Spencer Rattler well. Whether or not he goes into the portal or goes in the NFL draft, who could know? I know this, though. It is not the most smart and or rational thing to do to jump into the portal on a Power 5 team that is 7-0 and and has a chance to win its first national championship in 21 years, whether or not you're the starting quarterback. I don't expect anything to happen to Spencer Rattler except him to be a part of Oklahoma's football team for the rest of the year. And then all bets are off. All right. Is this a playoff team? Yeah, it is. But the thing that I think is most interesting about this being a playoff team is this is the first time that you can look at them and say, hey, they're not as soft as they were because you changed up the quarterback. I get that the dudes on the call were very high on Caleb Williams and very high on how he changed the attitude of the program, yada, yada, yada. What I saw was they gave up 31 against Texas Christian, who's 3-3. Three and three. You're not going to be able to walk in on Alabama, on Georgia, on the Big Ten champ, dare I say it, even Oregon, and be able to hold them to no 31 if you give it up 31 to Texas Christian. It ain't about the offense at Oklahoma. It has never been about the offense at Oklahoma. It has always been about the defense at Oklahoma when we're talking about the college football playoff. All right? Alex Grinch got to get some dudes healthy, and then he got to fix some stuff on his scheme. Okay, let's go to the next one because I could spend all day, as you very well know, talking about Oklahoma football. Mel Tucker and the Spartans are now set up to battle for the state of Michigan, right? The reason I can say this is because they have moved to 7-0 and they get the Wolverines at Spartan Stadium the following Saturday after this. Michigan State gets a bye, so they're going to get Michigan off a bye. Kenneth Walker III has been, for me, a Heisman frontrunner, and I think he's got to be number one, number two, number three in that conversation for you right now as the best player on his team, and his team is, again, undefeated. He's also got 997 rush yards through seven games. And this one, he wasn't all that good. What I'm saying is he's been amazing everywhere else. Also, in a year where I've been wrong about teams loaded with super senior transfers showing out, looking at you, Florida State, Tucker went into the portal, came out with a gym in Walker, and that defense, he's turned it into, well, one that is awesome. MSU is off to its best start to the season since 2015 when they began the year 8-0. The last time they started 8-0, they finished as Big Ten champs and in the college football playoff. That's what a 20-15 win against Indiana means for me. Number three, Cincinnati stomped out Mickey Mouse 56-22. The Bearcats are 6-0 and have won 24 straight at Nippert Stadium. I say that to say... That's the kind of consistency and dominance it is going to take to get noticed because the college football playoff select committee is human, which is to say they've been watching what Cincinnati's been doing too. But the Bearcats' number three ranking is only good for the AP. I have no evidence to suggest 
the CFP committee will rank the Bearcats even as high as number four. They have little respect for teams outside the G5, or excuse me, outside the Power 5. No matter how good they seem to look to our eyes, which lie to us more often than they tell us the truth, let alone to a blind resume test, which I love. But they feature an undefeated record with a top 10 win on the road against a Notre Dame team that people still respect. I doubt that's going to change, but, you know, Bearcats still put up over 300 yards of offense in the first half against Central Florida. Running back Jerome Ford had 176 rush yards, four tutties in the first half. Look, they can do whatever they want to do in the American, but that ain't what we're talking about now is. Louisiana State beat number 20 Florida 49-42. to the last six meetings between these two had been decided by single digit. And of course, last year was one of the most memorable when LSU quarterback Max Johnson made his first start on the road at the Swamp with just over 50 scholarship players in tow. With the help of Marco Nelson picking up an LSU player's shoe and absolutely tossing it like it was he was out there throwing a backyard nine route. LSU kicker Cade York ripped a 57-yard field goal off to win. On Saturday, LSU did not have <laughs> Derek Stingley Jr., Elias Ricks, Ali Gay, Kayshawn Butte, and at least a dozen scholarship starters in all three phases in the highest scoring game in the series' history. What I'm saying is Florida is the antidote for whatever is wrong with LSU. Because Florida came into this game averaging 273 yards on the ground. That's third best in the FBS. Only the academies, Air Force, and Army had run the ball at a higher clip before today, and they run the bone. But Ty Davis-Price at LSU read that stat and said, Bet, I'm eating today. The Price was right for 287 rush yards on 36 rushes with three tutties. That's the most rush yards allowed to a single player by a Florida defense ever. All told, the price and the LSU cost to Florida, 321 rush yards, and the Gators committed four turnovers in the game. Now, both programs are four and three. Meanwhile, allow me this exercise to demonstrate the need for a 16-team playoff. Hawaii. Beat Fresno State. Fresno State beat UCLA. UCLA beat LSU. LSU beat Florida. Hawaii is about to get a transitive win against Florida. And not about, it did get a transitive win against Florida, who had the state of Mississippi, Ole Miss Mississippi State, also as a better football team than both LSU and Florida. Not me, because we got to talk about this at some length. Because is Florida the team that is good enough to beat Georgia in Jacksonville? Look, yes and no, all right? The way to unpack this is to simply say Florida is talented enough to give Georgia enough of a scare and to perhaps force them into enough mistakes to steal the game in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. But is Florida together enough to do that? Not if you're taking into account today or Kentucky, by the way, because that's a common opponent. And Kentucky got that win against Florida, all right? You're also looking at this, who's the quarterback? Like, I said this from the jump. I was not in on Florida. I claimed they were fraudulent, and now everybody else is like, they're always fraudulent. Like, where were y'all four weeks ago when I was getting toe up for this take, okay? 
What I'm saying is, I didn't know who the quarterback was. That's a problem, okay? Then you got Anthony Richardson, who got a lot of playing time today, talking to reporters, talking about, you know, do you think you're going to be a Gator next season? He's like, I don't know about that. And then he had to send out the emergency tweet because my man did not know he had kicked a hornet's nest because Florida fans are like, oh, for real? That's how you going to do us? Me- meanwhile, we've been caping for you all year to come in for this man, Emory Jones? Look, I think they could do it, but they got to get together and they got to get it together quick, fast, in a hurry against the most dominant defense that anybody's seen in the last decade. Now, second question I have on this one. Is the SEC in this season the best conference in the sport it's an interesting one to discuss especially as we continue to discuss uh, alabama mississippi state texas a and basically the sec west i am not prepared to say yes when i wrote this i thought yeah 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 that's pretty claim and then purdue went and stopped out iowa all right like we are a michigan state michigan loss away from getting railroaded by Ohio State to the Big Ten not having any undefeated teams, not because it's not any good, but because it's really good. So right now, I believe I'm fully within my value and my rights to say, I say values, Big Ten's a better football league than the SEC presently. You know, we'll, we'll take that into account. All right. Now, Alabama stopped a mud hole in Mississippi State, 49 to nine. After this game, I don't know what to do with the SEC West, man. Look, Alabama beat Mississippi State. Mississippi State beat A&M. A&M beat Alabama. Which is it, dog? Let somebody tell me. What, who, who running the SEC West? I think it's Alabama. You know, they got one loss. Is it still the second best team in the country according to the college football playoff protocol? That is is going to be an interesting discussion a little bit later on. Meanwhile, UConn, baby. UConn, look at you. Look, look, at, look at you, UConn. You beat Yale. Yeah, we don't care. It's Yale, you beat Yale. You beat somebody. You beat them 21-15. For us, that means UConn snapped its losing streak before Arizona did. The Arizona Wildcats are on an 18-game losing streak. Their last win was 35-30 victory at Colorado on October 5th. 2019, we have been through a literal plague since then. Well, we're still in one. Meanwhile, Colorado is 1-4, or started the day 1-4, and and had yet to beat an FBS team. Buffaloes had also lost their last three games by at least 21 points. Some had to give in the sicko game, okay? Because that's the only only the sickos is watching this one. (laughs) Either way, Alabama lost before Arizona won. What I'm saying is, and I will say this forever and ever and ever, it is harder to win a football game than it is to lose one. Every football team will lose. Not every football team is going to win. And as proof, Arizona lost to Colorado today for their 18th straight loss, man. It was not even close. Poor Arizona. Maybe y'all figure it out. Probably not this year. All right. Now... I want to talk about the college football playoff, and I want to talk about the college football playoff protocol because we're coming up, I think we're like two weeks from the initial college football playoff selection committee rankings, which is kind of what this show is all about, right? Ranking stuff. So that's what happened week seven with many of these games having playoff implications. So now let's talk playoffs. 
And there's no better place to start with that conversation than Oregon. Look, on Friday night, Oregon barely beat California 24-17 in Eugene. Cal fell to 1-5 and five with its only win coming against Sacramento State, which is bogus because everybody knows Sacramento ain't no state. Does Oregon look like a playoff team, though? No. It squeaked by a bad Cal team and lost to a mediocre Stanford team. But did Oregon beat Ohio State? Yes. That team beat Ohio State at the shoe without presumptive 2022 number one overall pick Kayvon Thibodeau. Now, does Ohio State look like a playoff team? Yes. I think the eyes say yes. Eyes are also, you know, idiots. Does head-to-head matter according to CFP committee protocol and my criteria? Yes, it does. You can't just throw out the result of Oregon having beat Ohio State on the road. As Selena Kyle famously asked, you think all this can last? There's a storm coming big time college football. You and your friends better batten down the hatches because when it hits, you're all going to wonder how you ever thought you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. I want Oregon and Ohio State to win out because I want to watch the four-team college football playoff world burn. It's also the reason... I perform a different ranking on the Fox Sports app each Sunday morning that takes the eye test and moves it to the end of the line when evaluating teams because I think playing the games has to matter. Otherwise, we'd all be here talking about who we think is good while not even considering head-to-head results and what players have decided on a literal scoreboard. My rankings take into account how many AP Top 25 teams a team has beaten at the time that they played their Top 25 opponent. Also takes into account, a premium is placed on being undefeated. Power 5 teams, more than likely though, play a tougher schedule than group of 5 teams. We agree on this. Being undefeated though, supersedes strength of schedule. I believe winning every game a team plays is more difficult than losing to a good football team. Results, resume, and winning matter. When two teams have identical resumes, the eye test becomes necessary. But it's also not the way the playoff does it. And it's it's the reason I believe teams like Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, and even Wake Forest are liable to get the shaft if they run the table and go undefeated. Think about this. In 2017, Central Florida ran the table, got the shaft. In 2010, Texas Christian ran the table, got the shaft. In 2019, Boise State ran the table, got the shaft. In 2008, Utah ran the table, got the shaft. In 2006, Boise State ran the table, got the shaft. In 2004, Utah ran the table, got the shaft. I've tried to create with my rankings, you know, ways in which that doesn't happen. And one that acts as a jumping off point, really, for a discussion about who would get into an expanded 16-team playoff because quiet as it's kept, every ranking system, including mine, is flawed. However, that's not what the CFP's committee is going to try to do, and I believe the sport is worse for it. Nobody wearing a suit, sitting in a boardroom at the Gaylord Texan, should select who gets into the glorified invitational to play for the national title. The players alone should decide that. 
Everything else is partisan politics. And the kids work too hard to be thwarted by those. According to the college football playoff, though, itself, here is the selection committee criteria. The committee will select the teams using a process that distinguishes among otherwise comparable teams by considering conference championships won. It's a big one. You don't win your conference championship. I don't think you should be playing for a college football playoff spot anyway, let alone a national title. The strength of schedule. I think that's something that is out of the kids' control. And, and quite literally, something that the ADs could further control and have more say over. We learned this last year. We learned that you could pull BYU Coastal out of your behind if that's what you wanted to do. Okay? Ain't nobody said you got to be locked into these 20-year agreements. Nah, man. You want to go get a game? Go get a game. All right? But don't take it out on the kids who are out there playing football games and winning. Okay. You also have to take into account head-to-head -head competition. Right? Huh? Comparative outcomes? Common opponents? That, that, that seems to matter. Like Oregon beating Ohio State on the road at the shoe that all y'all just want to throw out? Like we can agree that Ohio State looks like a different football team. But at the time that they played, they lost. Okay? And there are other relevant factors such as the unavailability of key players and coaches. You know, like Kayvon Thibodeau being out when Oregon stopped a mud hole. I shouldn't say stopped a mud hole. Beat Ohio State by seven. Hmm? We gonna, we gonna bring that up? Does that not seem to be relevant to any of you? We believe, this is the committee, that a committee of experts properly instructed based on beliefs that the regular season is unique and must be preserved and that championships won on the field and the strength of schedule are important values that must be incorporated into the selection process has very strong support throughout the college football community. I can't dispute that. I'm over here in the minority. Under the current constru construct, though, polls, although well-intended, have not expressed these values, particularly at the margins where teams that have one head-to-head -head competition, like Oregon beating Ohio State, and championships are sometimes ranked behind non-champions, and teams that have lost in head-to-head -head competition, you know, like Ohio State did to Oregon, nuanced mathematical formulas ignore some teams who deserve to be selected. I test. I don't like this system. I don't like it because it puts college football in the hands of the people that aren't actually playing the sport. Every other major sport has a tournament to figure out who is its champion. I don't understand why college football needs to be different, and I think the sport is worse for it. Nine times out of ten, Alabama's probably going to stop a mud hole in Coastal Carolina and walk it dry. But that one time that Coastal manages to get that win, all of us are going to win. Because that is what makes sport, and in particular college football, so much doggone fun. I live this stuff. I love this stuff. I'm grateful to have you here with me. That's our show for today. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, DirecTV Stream. Our lead producer is Katherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media manager is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. And our executive producer is Kristen Herlihy. That is it for me. Doses.